Jeff Boyardee is Poe's mentor. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it was always going to be Leia. Could have been Baby Yoda. <laughs> wow, what a huge oversight. There's just a hole in the Death Star. Like, what the heck? You know, just like board that up or something, you know? And jumped onto Wikipedia. I was like, oh, there it is. I refused to get on the Wook, <laughs> as, as Jared lovingly refers to it. You're listening to the Star Wars Archives, a Utini.com Patreon-exclusive podcast. Your regular deep dive down the rabbit hole of the Star Wars universe. Discussion, analysis, Easter eggs, and obscure books you've never heard of. And now, here are your hosts, Jose and Trevor. Hello there, and welcome to the pilot episode of the still untitled Star Wars Deep Dive Podcast, where we take some random Star Wars topic and explain the living bantha poodoo out of it. I am Jose, aka Joxie in the Utiniverse. I have watched all Star Wars canon movies and TV shows. I have read 37 Star Wars books, and I own only nine of them. Uh, and I'm Trevor. Um, I'm the keeper of the timeline at Utini. I have seen everything that Star Wars has ever produced. <laughs> I'm sat here in front of bookcases worth of books, which I actually counted the other day, inspired by Jared on our team. I counted them again today because I got the count wrong, and I have exactly 921 Star Wars oh books my on my god. shelf. <laughs> oh my god. And how have you read all of them? Most. Most <laughs> of them. So you can see that there's a huge uh, disparity between how many books we own. And uh, yeah, I mean, this should be an interesting uh, show, right? So uh, on today's episode, we are going to get into chapters 9 and 10 of The Mandalorian, which means that we will be discussing major spoilers. But first, um, Trevor, why don't we talk a little bit about what this show is, what it will be, what, you know, what we are planning it to be. And then, uh, you know, right before we get into it, we'll just give an official spoiler warning. Um, so, uh, yeah, what? Uh, why are we here? So, uh, Utini puts out a lot of shows, a lot of podcasts. Um, I don't want Joxie um, explaining that we're going to talk about The Mandalorian this episode to think that we're going to be anything like The Bounty Hunt episode. We've already got a podcast that deals with The Mandalorian. We're just going deep dives. We're going to talk about the influences um, of things that are being brought Onto screen, we're going to talk about various books and comics where things have appeared. We're going to talk about different storylines. Hopefully, we're going to introduce you to a load of Star Wars that you've never heard about before and inspire you to go and search some of it out for yourself. That's right. So, um, thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, so let's uh, talk a little bit about the format now. So, since Trevor is basically a holocron of all Star Wars-related information... I will be the one to bring up characters, topics, questions, etc. And Trevor is just going to dump everything he knows about that topic. From He's going to dive into legends to canon, miscellaneous newspaper clippings, and everything <laughs> in between. I will be doing a little bit of research before each episode so that I can you know, try to hold a conversation with Trevor. Um, and Trevor, what are you preparing for these episodes at all? I'm trying to do as little as possible. Um, I really want, you know, it's, it's a test for myself to be able to say, <laughs> here's, here's the stuff that I already know. Sometimes it'll just 
you know, there'll be a little, little thing in my brain going, you should remember that. But I've got some notes in front of me that's just a list of book titles and I'm just going to go off the cuff from there. Perfect. All right, great. So um, is there, you know, before we get into it, is there anything else you want to say or share about what we're doing or today? No, I'm excited. Let's do this. Okay, great. So this is the official spoiler warning. Everything moving forward will contain spoilers. So if you haven't watched these episodes uh, of The Mandalorian, I'd suggest you pause, watch them, and then come back to this episode of our show. All right. So here we go. Um, so let's talk about The Mandalorians, uh, episode 9 and 10, or chapters 9 and 10, which, you know, it's a little confusing because it's season 2, episodes 1 and 2, but chapters 9 and 10 of the overall series, and yeah. I think we should, um, we should talk about why we chose that as a starting topic as well. Go ahead. Just because there's, there's so much in it. There's so much that's recognizable to, to Star Wars fans that's been you know, introduced over the years. There's stuff going that, you know, it predates even the first movie. Um, so for real sort of EU deep divers like me, there's a lot to enjoy and analyze and <laughs> remind myself of. Well, let me ask you. So I, I mean, I wasn't as like, you know, in deep into the Star Wars lore and, and uh and the universe at large um when season one came out uh but this season yeah just from the get-go i see all these creatures are apparently are coming in from you know from a lot of like you're saying from a lot of legends and and all these other sources was season one also like this did you or did you have the same feeling as you were watching those episodes in the first season i mean that there was a lot in season one but i don't think anything as big as what we've already had i think um john favreau and dave filoni took the reception for season one and went oh they like that right here have more of it. <laughs> i mean and that's a smart way to introduce uh you know the uh population at large to all this stuff right just kind of like go in a little bit more safe just go in with recognizable planets and characters and things that we you know that we're like okay yeah we can get into this show it's sort of a western you know set in the star wars universe and yeah, this is cool. A Mandalorian. We know Boba Fett. So hey, let's watch this. And now they're getting into maybe some of the weirder stuff that we have never seen in the movies before. No, and, and you know, as I've indicated, I have thoughts on a lot <laughs> of this stuff. All right. Well, do you want to... Um, let's get into some of those thoughts. And, um, go ahead. I mean, what, what do you, you want to first talk about? So the big takeaway from uh, episode one of the second season then is the crate dragon, right? Right. How cool was that first off? I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, you're in the cantina, you hear the rumbling. Um, I originally thought when I saw the sand going, oh, it's some a sandworm. They're going to introduce sandworms like yes. out of Dune or my mind instantly started going to a sarlacc or something like that. Yes. But when you find out it's a dragon, that's mind blown. It was. No, and, you know, it's funny because I just started, uh, or I had just started um, reading uh, Kenobi, uh, the you know, the Legends book. And yeah. so I didn't really, I didn't, I knew nothing of Crate Dragons. And I just happened to have started reading that book just a couple of weeks before. So by the time that I watched that episode, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, 
I know what this is, you know, like I, I've heard about this and the sound and everything. So it all started to connect, but I'm like, but that was a legends book. So now it's being brought into canon. Like I was really excited because I had, I mean, that hadn't happened to me before where I was caught up with what they're trying to bring into canon. But even, even the sound, even the sound of a dragon, that's, that in itself is, it's something that harks back to the first movie. Ben makes that noise to, to scare off the Tusken Raiders. But then George Lucas changed it. So then for the special edition, he changed it to, I can't remember what it was. It was something weird. And then for a Blu-ray release after episode three came out, he changed it to the noise of the animal that Obi-Wan rides when he's fighting General Grievous. And the whole thing kind of loses the point of that noise. You know, Obi-Wan made that noise because Tusken Raiders are going to be scared of a crate dragon they're not going to be scared of some <laughs> random green lizard from utapau <laughs> that's right um yeah because i mean and but they never really explained the sound even on that first iteration right it was just some really scary sound i, I think the novelization might have touched on it i think but don't quote me on that one <laughs> i mean i'm gonna I can, I can probably not quote you in a lot of stuff in here, but I mean, <laughs> you do um, have the base knowledge of it. Yeah, but but the dragon itself. So before we started, I was um, me and Joxy were talking about a book that I'm going to reference a couple of times in this episode called "The Illustrated Star Wars Universe" by uh, Kevin J. Anderson. Now this came out uh, mid '90s, I guess '96, and it's predominantly loads of Ralph McQuarrie concept art that was done for all three movies. It covers five planets, which is uh, Tatooine, Hoth, Dagobah, Endor, and Coruscant. Um, but it's it's not an art book. Each chapter's full of really interesting lore. So the Tatooine one goes into a lot of detail about the crate Dragon. It's got some really good images in there as well. Um, but the crate Dragon that is used in that book isn't quite the one that we see on screen because a later book, The Wildlife of a Star Wars Universe, actually decided that there was two species of crate dragon so the one we oh. see on screen is the greater crate dragon which has only ever actually be been seen in that wildlife book every ever appearance of a crate dragon has been the original crate dragon design from ralph mccrory's art so what is it i mean what does this other one look like or what's the main um, difference between i mean i assume if it's great it's larger the the greater one, yeah, it's larger. It's it's um, it's more it's more sleek. It's got a longer neck. Um, it's, it's more it's more dragon looking than the original design that they called a dragon. Okay. <laughs> the so original design is more like a lizard. Oh, so a, more a like a komodo lizard. dragon type of. Uh... Yes. Okay. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but the the designs in the wildlife of Star Wars, it's it's you know it's almost got sort of wings on it, so it looks. Oh wow. More like a dragon. Um. But the crate dragon has been in more more books and comics than you could possibly mention. And um, interesting real world fact: somebody shared this in our Discord the other day, and I didn't know this. Uh -huh. That the the skeleton that you see in a New Hope of the crate dragon on the sand as three PO and R two are walking through the desert. Yes, is from a Disney movie called "Somebody Stole Our Dinosaur." No, our dinosaur is missing, <laughs> and they used the skeleton from that film. To be the crate dragon skeleton uh, in the desert. So yes, yeah, so I mean it is basically a large, a large lizard. I mean, if it's supposed to be kind of like a dinosaur, then yeah, then... yeah. Essentially, I just, I just love the fact that 
deep down somewhere on the internet somebody found out the fact that it's the same prop that's amazing i love it when you you know what i mean that's how scrappy they were back then right when you didn't have cgi or anything like that you had to reuse props you had to like find random stuff from like a home store like the camtono and just put it in there and say yeah someone needs to hold this and run around because it looks a little weird like sure yeah i don't we don't know what it is and, and uh, it's, um, it's just that establishing shot of right. We've got a, we've got a skeleton prop. We can, you know, ship over to Tunisia from San Francisco or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, I just want it on my sand dune. It's going to be in the film for like two seconds, oh but God. yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, because I mean, now they just you know they can just render it on a computer and it'll be whatever weird thing it is. But this is actually based on a dinosaur, and now they they're kind of like left with that. So now whatever they design or draw for it, it has to have more or less those proportions or you know yeah. or that look they're like tied into it right but um one, one of my first thoughts watching the episode as soon as i knew you know it was um the mandalorian versus a crate dragon all i was thinking in was my head was they've got to get the pearl they just have pearl. to get a pearl out of it if i see a pearl that knows that they didn't just pick up a book and go i like that picture it means they actually understood the creature they weren't gonna muck around with it too much so Getting that payoff as a massive, you know, Star Wars lore fan was incredible. And I've seen loads of people talk about um, the Knights of the Old Republic game. How that was actually a big quest in that game of hunting down a crate dragon and being rewarded with the pearl at the end. But um, I've never actually played that game. So oh. so I can't talk too much about it. <laughs> well, I haven't played the game either, but I definitely have seen so many people go crazy about this pearl. I mean, including you, like like you said. I have I had no idea what this pearl was. I just saw the dig it out, and I'm like, "Well, that looks interesting." And uh, and then I see everyone freaking out about it. And so I've read, you know, what you guys have shared. But do you want to give us a little bit about what this pearl is, and you know, um, what they can use it for? I mean, I think I think in Kotor they used it. Um to harness uh lightsaber crystals in i think in canon they've stuck with that and i was reading something the other day how not all pearls but some pearls can have kyber crystals form inside them and they become a much more powerful lightsaber to use um where i think if i'm remembering right that the pearl was more sort of um just valuable in legends okay. just you know you, you get one of them then it's it's worth a lot of money to collectors and whoever else collects things out of dead bodies. <laughs> so now we have these uh, Tusken Raiders that can potentially have a lot of money, a lot of credits. Yeah, I don't think they're going to use it for that, really. <laughs> I, mean... I think probably more um, a, a badge of honor, a, a sign of status, I imagine. Would, do, would they even know how much these things are worth out there in the black market or whatever? <laughs> Probably not, but if you see, if you go to a tribe and they've got a pearl on display, you know that they've killed a dragon. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, and, and that's and you're not gonna mess with them. Yeah. Well, and isn't that? I mean, part of what, I mean, from the little bit that I do know of the lore, right? Just from, or from legends that I um, in Kenobi, they do discuss that a little bit, right? That that's how you become a proper warrior within their tribes is to kill a crate dragon. But there's not a lot of them, so they had to change to like hunting down some other creatures. Now, it's, 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 it's funny you say that about there um, not being a lot of crate dragons. 
Brings me nicely onto my next point, Joxy. <laughs> okay. How many times do you think Luke Skywalker's seen one? <laughs> I mean, none, right? Turns out he's had possibly three encounters with a crate dragon. What? I mean, well, are we... <laughs> okay, tell me more about this. <laughs> and, and that's not including the, the skeleton. Okay. So, um, so the Star Wars Tales... Uh, comic series um, which came out early 2000 from Dark Horse these were great little comics they only came out um, once a quarter so once every three months but there were a bigger format like 96 pages and you'd have four or five short comic strips and they're all by different authors artists all bounced over the timeline incredible I cannot rave about these enough and luckily Marvel's including them in the epic collections in chronological order which makes my heart sing (laughs) Um, but there's a lovely little one about like Luke when he sort of he's less than 10 um and he somehow gets separated from from his family and he's out in the um, desert and he gets stuck in a sandstorm and he meets another little boy called annie oh no you never really you never really find out whether um it's the force giving him a vision whether it's his own you know imagination but essentially it's meant to be young annie skywalker helping him get through the sandstorm and turns out they meet a crate dragon along the way. Oh, um, that with, sounds you know, so good. It, it's really good. Um, and with Annie's help, you know, he manages to, I think he throws a spear into it. Um, and there's a great shot of Luke being um, face down in the sand and the crate sinking behind him. But it's done in a way that you know the crate dragon's going away. He, he's not dead. Yeah. He's just making his escape. Wait, so and a then, uh, 10-year-old Luke Skywalker... Yeah. Defeated this crate dragon. Pretty much, yeah. Spear down the throat. And Tusken Raiders are supposed to gain their warriorhood, or whatever you call that, by killing a crate dragon. But this 10 year old baby dragon did it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm just. (laughs) I mean, okay, Star Wars is for kids, so it's fine if there's some things that don't make a lot of sense, or maybe it's just that Luke does have that bush force within him to do this. Yeah, I mean. We should probably go with the first one in this instance. Because, <laughs> I mean, a 10-year-old killing one of these... Cre- well, and I guess we were also talking about the regular crate dragon, right? So we're not talking about the thing that we just yeah. saw eat all these people and banthas in the Mandalorian. We're talking about yeah, I mean, the it, it's, lizard it's ones. Still, you know, but it's, it's still kind of the size of a homestead. It's not a small. <laughs> it's not a small thing. Well, you know, yeah, this 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 uh, the force is strong within their family, right? I mean, <laughs> Luke does say that. Yeah, and then um, but then you've got another couple of stories which are that I think he's described as thirteen and one, but I think in the other one he's more towards sixteen, which they kind of tell the same story, but they're different enough that it's hard to it's hard to reconcile the two. I'll be honest, but you've got um. Adventures in Beggar's Canyon, which is it's a kids' book. It's done okay. by Little Golden Books. You know, they do all the they do all the adaptions of scenes. They're, they're aimed at really young kids. Yes. Um, they only did ever did two original storybooks, and this is one of them where Luke and his friend Windy head out on their T sixteen Skyhopper. You know, to go shoot some one brats, and they crash, and we have to get huddled up in a cave, and a crate dragon finds them, and it looks like it's all over when Ben Kenobi turns up. Oh, Ben Kenobi turns up sends the dragon to sleep rescues the boys takes them back home to um 
the homestead where Owen's really pissed off and he's like, you know, leave us alone. Don't ever come back. Um, not, yeah. not even a thank you. You just uh, saved my nephew and yep, yep. just get that. such a grouch. Oh my God. But then um, another story, which is um, Luke Skywalker's walkabout, uh-huh. which it was a single issue Dark Elves comic from 99, I believe, which kind of tells the same story, but they go out on um, Wendy's dewback. Um, the dewback dies because they get caught in a sandstorm and he's me- Luke's meant to be a bit older in this one, but essentially it ends the same way. You know, Ben finds them and takes them home and Owen's really ungrateful. <laughs> so possibly three encounters Luke Skywalker's had with... Up to three. Yep. Two of them are with sandstorms. Poss- poss- yeah, two of them are possibly the same story. Yes. But he's def- he's definitely had at least two encounters with great dragons. Wow. So maybe not that uncommon. I mean, and people, I mean, in this village in the episode of The Mandalorian, I mean, they obviously had seen him or seen this great dragon a couple times, I assume, right? I mean, they had the alarm system. Yeah, I think, well, I think by all accounts, the dragons, you know, terrorizing them. Yeah. So Not enough 10-year-olds. <laughs> That's right. Just need a whole art. Well, I mean, we can. Uh, we know who's responsible for not having enough Padawans around to, to kill the Kray Dragons. <laughs> so we, we know who um, to blame for that. So yeah, so that's uh, so the Kray Dragon, very common. Um, like I said, predates even the first movie with lots of concept art. Luke Skywalker's seen a bunch of them. Um, but then last week, you have the Spiders. That's right, the spider. Oh, I mean that okay. whole episode, man. So cool. And the the I don't know about you, but it feels to me like the budget's gone up a step this season because last time last season them using the volume, you could kind of see the the difference. You could kind of almost tell what was projected onto the volume and yes. what was the Mandalorian walking through. Everything looks so seamless. I so know. So seamless this I season. Oh no, this it's it's fantastic. I mean, like this episode. I mean, I was. It was cringy, you know, like just seeing all these spiders. I mean, luckily, I am not afraid of spiders, but I did see a lot of people in our Discord. I'm not a fan. <laughs> just yeah, well, like, like yourself, you're like, oh, I hate spiders. So they were just hating this episode. I mean, they loving the episode, but at the same time, just like I can't, I can't stand all these spiders. See, I, I'll be honest, I don't like spiders at all, but I find it hard to be scared of alien spiders that I don't know exist. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with them. Yeah, well, and, you know, speaking of aliens, I mean, we, you know, this uh, this episode did have major alien vibes, like aliens from, from the movie Aliens, um, when, you know, when we see the, ch- the child, aka Baby Yoda, just walking away, and there's all the, all the eggs just everywhere, right? And then he just eats one of them, but that was just straight out of Aliens. That, and that was tense. Like, I expected Baby Yoda to get a face hugger on him, but <laughs> if, if I thought about it, look, He's already eaten one back in the ship. I don't know who to be should be more afraid right now. <laughs> this is true. I mean, this. Uh, yeah, he is known, to, um, you know, to uh, eat whatever is in front of him. So um, he's he's not um, he's not done himself any favors in this episode for his reputation, has he? No, no, no. He he, he has not. Um, but yeah, just but, tell me more about the spiders. So I went on a. Um, I messaged you on Slack last night. I had a real Mandela memory last night. Um, I spent an hour going through Empire Strikes Back, pretty much watching the Dagobah scenes over and over again because I could swear that in one of the establishing shots, you saw one of these spiders just off in the corner, yeah, just walking along. I, I thought maybe it was added for the special edition. I hunted for this. I could not find it, and it drove me crazy. 
I mean, I'm, However, I'm sure. I'm sure he George Lucas would have added it eventually if he kept, you know, working on them. So, <laughs> but it, it's another um, Ralph McQuarrie concept piece. So oh. again, it turns up in the that illustrated guide to the Star Wars universe, and the the section for that isn't. It's written in universe, but as a survey report. Okay. And it's it's so good because it talks about um, the crumbling of the Republic and things like that. So it, even though it was written long before the prequels it ties in really well and it's um it's a it's a five-week survey report of this person slowly going crazy as you know the various wildlife on Dagobah eat all her team and they're the last one but what set the original concept for these spiders apart from what we saw Mm -hmm. is so what we saw was you know a big big creature that lays eggs those eggs hatch right yes so the original legend spider it's really tied into the, the ecology of Dagobah. They're actually a tree. What? <laughs> Bear with me. Okay. <laughs> so they're, they're called the knobbly tree spider. And essentially, as, as these, um, if we start from the tree phase, uh, as this tree um, pollinates, it mm-hmm. pollinates by growing small spiders at the end of its roots, which then detach. These spiders go off and, you know, eat and build energy and get bigger until they reach the tree phase, at which point they put their legs into the ground, which become roots, and they slowly over years turn into the trees until it's time for them to spawn off more little spiders. Oh my, that is crazy. I know, right? I know. Well, well, okay, question. (laughs) Um... So while it is in spider movable form, I mean, does it attack? Does it eat other things? Or since it's a tree, does it just like rely on the sun or whatever to and water to? I, I don't live? think they're overly <laughs> aggressive. However, one of the other random places that these baby spiders have appeared in is the Rogue Wadr- Squadron Three Rebel Strike video game. Oh, wow. Where there's a level set on Dagobah where Luke has to go through some Jedi trials uh-huh. and they're everywhere. They're, you know, they're just one of the annoying um, enemies within the game that you just have to keep killing all the time. Oh, my God. So even there, they're, they're present. So, I mean, how big are they in that, in the, in that video game? Do you know? You're, they're only small ones. Okay. So it's all the so babies, basically. Yeah. yeah you, never see a, you never see a big one. It's not like a, a boss level or anything, but... They're just, they're just everywhere annoying you and um which again is um it's really correct with well not correct but it ties in with how they were described in the illustrated star wars universe book yeah but they're so prevalent that they become just a pest yeah I but mean, every now and again a big one will come along and you know trash your camp <laughs> yeah and it, it did remind me of um just because I, I never played that game, but I, you know, just last year with uh, Jedi Fallen Order, when that came out, and there is a spider creature in that game, and I thought, oh wait, is it the same kind of creature there? But I mean, I after looking at them a little more closely, they they do look different, um, and then it also made me think of the of the is it the Krikna spider in Rebels? Yeah, the ones from Rebels. So um, I saw loads of people mentioning that, and yeah. in, in my head, I was like. Why, why did that not occur to me? Because I honestly couldn't <laughs> remember them at all. So I went back and they're of a very, very similar design. Uh-huh. But I think they, their jaws are different. You know, the ones in Rebels have got more mandibles. And um, so I think they are two distinct 
separate species. Obviously, neither one is the same as actually being a tree. Yes. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I assume, I, I think I may have read actually that the Krikna spider, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but just bear with me, I guess. Um, but that, that was also based on the same artwork from Ralph McQuarrie. So yeah, yeah. It, at the very least, they are related, you know, within whatever arachnids um, exist within Star Wars universe, then they are, might be distant cousins, but they're, you know, they're both coming from the same art. Oh, so. ab- absolutely, and that um, that concept art's been used for so many things, and there's there's so much more that I know it it will still get mindful. But Kevin Gay Anderson, who wrote that illustrated Star Wars book, also wrote a Legends novel called Dark Saber, where right. the spiders appear. Okay, as, um, bear with me for this one. It's, it, I'll make this one brief, but essentially, Luke Skywalker takes his girlfriend, who used to be stuck in a computer, but used to also used to be a Jedi. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, hold back on. in. No, 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 let me finish. What? Is now back in the real world, but has lost her connection to the Force, but can only touch the Force when she's touching the dark side of the Force. So he takes her on like a greatest hits tour of various places he's been in order to try and get her to reach the light side of the Force. Did you get that? Um, so you're basically talking about the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> and, but with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. He had a girlfriend, a computer girlfriend. She got trapped in a computer. She was a Jedi Knight she, well, back in okay. the Republic. Okay. But then she got trapped in a computer trying to destroy a super weapon. Okay. I think I remember this right. And then he managed to get her out of a computer, but into the body of one of his students, who was sacrificing herself anyway, so that's fine. It's not like he was kicking her out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, so they went on a... They went on a Toward the Dagobah and you know had to deal with some spiders there. What what book is this again? Uh, Dark Saber. Oh, Dark Saber. But again, it's by Kevin J. Anderson, who you know he takes a lot of stuff from this. And Kevin J. Anderson, his wife Rebecca Moesta, uh-huh. has also written books in the Star Wars universe. Uh huh. Um, she wrote the the Junior Jedi Knight books, um, featuring young Anakin Solo at eleven, set twenty three years after the Battle of Yavin. Uh huh. Where Anakin and Tahiri also go to Dagobah um, for reasons that I can't really remember. And again, <laughs> have to deal with the spiders. Um, but it just goes to show that even with the Mandalorian taking that, yeah. between Ralph McQuarrie's original concept art, Kevin J. Anderson loving the idea and him and his wife featuring it in a few of their works, has kept that alive long enough that even now we're talking about paintings that were done you know 45 years ago yeah i mean it's really interesting though i mean like that i mean all these mentions of the of this uh what is this what is it called a knobby white spider or something like that the, the original uh, one knobby knobby tree spider knobby okay. white spider it's one of them okay. so it's interesting that i mean all these books that you're mentioning right so they they are basically set in dagobah but obviously, we were not in Dagobah right now, so... No, no. Um, I mean, a very so yeah, different planet. <laughs> they, but also the fact that it, it lays loads of eggs, and right. you know, it's obviously a different creature. Um, but they've taken that design. Even you know, even the design of the mouth is identical to the original paintings. Um, hey, I'm, I'm just glad to see it. I think it's awesome. And it is cool. It's been introduced. Yeah, I mean, I, probably translating this 
tree spider thing into film might have been a bit of a challenge <laughs> yeah. to, to explain the whole life cycle of how it goes from plant to spider to plant to yeah. spider. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it was a little more straightforward this way. And then they just put it in a different planet so that then people can maybe still in their headcanon believe that we still have these tree spiders in Dagobah. But we get to see the design, you know, fully featured in uh, in this live action series. But it's like a, me and you had a conversation about the amount of aliens in Star Wars and how everyone who's involved just loves to invent a new alien species. When let's be honest, there's enough to use. Exactly. So I'm, you know, I just I love the fact that these guys they're, they're mining what's there and go. Okay, we don't need to make something new up. No. We've got all this great stuff. Let's just use that. No, yeah, I mean, there's there's loads of information out there. I mean, there's, I mean, all the Legends books. There's just so, so many stories. And, I, I mean, I, I appreciate that they are not completely starting from scratch either, that they are just digging through all the material and then just adapting it to just sort of, you know, to make more sense within what's uh, been established as canon at this point. Yeah, and every, everybody wins, you know. Y- yourself, who's not as well-versed, looks around and goes, oh, wow, I love that spider. That's incredible. I look at it and go, wow, I love that spider. That's incredible. And I know where it came from. So it's win-win. Yeah, and then I get to talk to you, and then I get all the information about where it came from as well. So then I win again. Yeah. Um, so should we touch on a couple of the other smaller Easter eggs? Yeah, go for it. What else did you find in these episodes? Uh, so right at the beginning of the um, first episode of the season, where um, Mando goes to visit his contact of that Gamory and fighting match which was awesome by the way yes. i loved that yes <laughs> um i loved the fact that they were using vibro axes which were always a big thing in the books um so we don't actually i think the way they've always been described is it's an axe with a vibrating blade so it mm-hmm. cuts even harder but these ones are obviously designed to just kind of bounce off or gamarin's got really thick skin it's it's one or the other yeah um but the fact we saw um we saw a live action abyssin which is the for one-eyed guy, so that's yes. great. Again, so they're using a um, an established alien character. I'm not actually sure if we've seen him in live action before. We, I think the Abyssin came from a lot of the West End games role-playing stuff. I think that there is one in perhaps a New Hope, and don't yeah, po- possibly don't quote me on this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like this, that's your line, but in, I, I I believe I read somewhere or saw a picture of uh, of you know it could have been one of those like real background creatures in one of the cantinas or whatever but i i think that there might have been one i mean it didn't look just like this one right but um i think it's supposed to be the same species i mean i couldn't help thinking of i've now this is an obscure reference non-star wars reference but not many people will get but there's a fantasy film and it's not great it's not a great film (laughs) it's from the 80s but in itself was obviously star wars influence called kroll Crawl. And they had a Cyclops character in that, and the makeup and everything looked identical. So I'd be surprised if someone in the makeup department isn't a fan of that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great. When it's and I loved a... it as a kid. Yeah, it's a terrible well... film, but I loved it. <laughs> so this movie that was inspired by Star Wars and now is inspiring this new generation of Star Wars. Yeah, totally. Possibly. This is great. And, um, and, you know, once Mando's doing his business for... I can't remember the, the character's name, but the Abyssin's hung up from a lamppost and he talks about the droid Gotra. Yes. And that's been mentioned a few times now. I think it was it mentioned in Solo. I think it's had a few mentions in canon books and comics. It's an idea that was actually developed for the Underworld TV show that George wanted to make. That's um, right. Probably about 
what, 10 years ago? And I think he made it, and at the time it was going to cost him something like $5 million an episode. And he was like, you know, the technology's not there. But all this work that was put into that TV show, that's slowly filtering its way yeah. into canon. You know, they, they wrote 50 scripts for that show, which, which have just sat on a shelf. Um, so the fact that these are filtering, I think the droid Gotra is going to play a big part of something, whether it's for comics, books, TV show. They've they peppered in enough references, but I think that's going to be a massive story point at some point in the future. And wasn't that also in uh, the animated series, maybe? There's some episodes there. Uh, it's not ringing a bell with me, but I'm not I'm not hot on my Rebels and Clone Wars. I kind of I watched them all once. I've never kind of done yeah. multiple multiple watchthroughs. Yeah, what a, yeah, uh, it might it might show up in there, but maybe maybe not. I've 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 heard the name before, and I haven't read any of these books that you're talking about. Yeah, so. I mean, but basically, um, from what I can tell, they're a, they're a droid-run crime syndicate. Yeah. So I think you know with they're up there with sort of Crimson Dawn and Black Sun, right. and uh, the other one was getting mentioned a lot, but was developed for the TV show was a, I don't know if I'm saying right, it's for Simora Syndicate or Kaimor Syndicate. That's another one where there's been lots yeah. of references, but they haven't been featured yet. Yeah, I'd love for them to get into that TV show that uh, that George Lucas was developing, though, because that's that's the one that there's a trailer for it out there, right? Like that's all he did. Like, uh, but, uh, it's not a trailer, but there's some sort of test for like test. Yes, yeah, they're kind of just walking through like just some through the streets of some city, right? And that you see yeah, I that... think it's meant to be Coruscant, and there's like a, a police fight, or <sighs> and it it, lo- it looks great, but obviously with the volume now. They can do, they can do everything that they can possibly dream of. Yeah. Um, and I guess the budget kind of stays the same. Yeah. Um, which you know, it's we're in a great position. That's an amazing piece of technology that they've established. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there's other there's other movies right now that are asking to borrow it for their movies. Oh, so. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> They're <laughs> like they'll make their money out. back. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For <laughs> sure. So okay, let's get back into to Mandalorian. What else did we uh, did we see? Uh, so one of my favorites was seeing the um, the droid R five D four. Oh yes, uh, R five. Yep. So the droid that uh, blew a motivator. So <laughs> um, that meant that R two and three PO both ended up on the homestead. Um, there is a little comic in the Star Wars Tales series that I spoke about earlier mm-hmm. called Skippy the Jedi Droid, which <laughs> what, what, what? Uh, goes as far as saying that you know R five is a droid with midi chlorians. And he had a vision of the future about what would happen if 3PO and R2 didn't end up going together. You know, Luke Skywalker wouldn't go off and destroy the Death Star. The Empire wouldn't fall. All of that. So he blew his own motivator in a heroic act of self-sacrifice. Wow. So now midichlorians can exist. Well, according to this book, they can exist within non-organic. Non-organics, basically. I mean, the tail stuff was always kind of... It was always classed as infinities because some of the stories are just, you know, spooks. Yeah. So it was kind of always classed as not canon even for legends, but if if it works, it works for me. Well, and didn't I think in uh in from a certain point of view, uh, for uh Star Wars for a new hope, um, that didn't they have a I think they had a little story there, um, where it was either C three PO or R two talking to R five and they kind of just ask him to help him out so that r2 stays with 3po and he like I yeah mean, and, it, I, and i loved that as well i, I love um and, and canon's done a great job of this of giving the droids personalities yes um you know 
which which is fantastic. So I I really I was really happy that he got his shining moment in that story. He might not have been Skippy, but you know <laughs> he, he's still a really he's probably the most important droid in the first film. This is true, and we do get a little bit of a glimpse of R five also. I think on the second episode, so it's not just on that first episode. I think when they're in the I, cantina. I, oh, I missed that. I was uh yeah, it's like in the background um, in one of the shots. You you go you know you go back from um that what is it Doctor Mandible. And go back to uh, to to Mando, and I think in one of the Mando shots in the background, you see R five just like zooming past him. Uh, okay, and um, I love the pit droids as well. You know, I I love their antics, and yes, that's one of the things when um when Phantom Menace first came out and seeing it in the cinema and seeing the the pit droids do that Three Stooges gag in front of a pod race. <laughs> you know, yeah. I I love that stuff. No, it's a it's a nice callback. I I like that they're you know for anyone who for all those people that are prequel, I mean that are still prequel trilogy haters or whatever that are loving Mandalorian, just being like, hey guys, like there's still really fun stuff in those prequels. So maybe you should change your mind and love them as well. Oh, abs- absolutely, and um, yeah, you know, there's bits that I love less than other bits, but you know, they're they're all still <laughs> up there for me. Um, and then the last big one, if, since we're talking about prequels, is uh, Anakin's pod as the speeder. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. such an awesome design. I mean, the the, um, the Mandalorian asks for a speeder bike, but technically what he's got, what he's riding is a swoop bike. Um, and that's something that's been scattered throughout that's right. for years. I think um, Shadows of the Empire video game, you got to you got to ride one and they're in various comics and books set on Tatooine um but yeah what a cool design that that pod speeder is it's such a cool that, that no that was really cool and I also saw everyone just freaking out when they were like oh my god is that a pod razor <laughs> so that was and, really um, cool whether it's the same one or not you know we've we've got no way of of knowing but right. um it, in Legends obviously in Phantom Menace for film Qui-Gon says you know that they're gonna sell the pod racer yes. well we sell it to Sebulba who then gives it to his son who then ends up facing Anakin Skywalker in another pod race oh as part of the Jedi Quest series. Uh, so there's a whole history of who's like touched this pod racer and where the engine. Yeah, pretty died. much. I mean, that's that's the thing about Legends. Is a lot of the time, even for me, it's they just focused on something like some of the some of the Wikipedia pages for some of these things are ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so the the this uh, this speeder that Cobb Vanth is uh, riding, I mean, it could be, it could not be. I mean, at the very least, like it could just be part of it, just because we know that there's just scrappers and you know just buying parts from each other, and then they just alter them and make something new out of them. So it could very well be at least part. Yeah, absolutely. Of I mean, Anakin's we know Anakin speeder. built the pod racer. I very That's much right. doubt he built the engines. He just, exactly, he just, exactly. He got the engines and he made them into a pod racer. Exactly. But again, it's a great callback. Call we don't we don't need to know. It just it looked awesome. That's right. No, and kind of speaking of uh, of kind of, you know, of cool engines and, and pod racers, another cool Easter egg, I thought, was on episode two when they're cooking the... The yeah. Cray Dragon meat because they're using it's, it's, the. Is that the other pod? Maybe, maybe. But I do know that it is still an Easter egg for Galaxy's Galaxy's Edge, just because they do have the. I oh really? A, yeah, Ranta Roasters. I think it's the restaurant called. But they do have oh, okay. a thing called, uh, or they say that they they cook their meat on a Starfighter engine. 
So uh. there's, you know, they're kind of calling back to, you know, to, well, Batu and how they cook their meat there. So we sort of see a version of it here in uh, Mandalorian. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool little Easter egg as well. Ah, uh, see now if I ever get to go to Galaxy's Edge, if they don't have a rotisserie with a treadwell rotating my chicken, I'm going to be annoyed. <laughs> that's right, and that's I mean, and that's another call by, or another Easter egg there. The um, the droid that is uh, spinning the the meat in that episode. And then, uh, the, so the big one though was Cobb Vance. Of Cobb Vance and Boba Fett's armor. Um, have you read the aftermath books? I have read the aftermath books. Yes. What What are your thoughts on them? Let's hear it. Well, I mean... Because I know it's a controversial subject, so let's just go there. <laughs> um, I mean, when I was reading the books, I, I mean, I, I have to admit that I don't remember very much about them at the moment. Um, but when I saw the name in the episode, I'm like, oh, wait, I know this guy. Um, I, I, you know, I sort of remember him. But, you know, I never thought too much about him. I don't know. I was sort of like it was an interesting little thing um, in the books. And then in the episode, I mean, it was really cool to see him. I love that they're bringing uh, a canon character in, you know, from the books into the TV show. So I kind of just love that. At first, I was really thrown off to see Timothy Oliphant uh, playing him because I just know him from a lot of other movies. So it was hard for me to, like, not think of him as Timothy Oliphant. But See, I mean, I think I only know him as the bad guy from Die Hard Four, so it, it was pretty go. easy to get past that. <laughs> See, I remember him from a movie back in 1999, Go, um, where he was some sort of like cop, and there's like ravers, and you know, it was like a you know glow stick raving kind of scene uh, movie, and that's the first time I saw him, and I just go back right to that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, regardless of that, I mean, I, I've seen the episode now a couple times, and with every viewing, I actually do like him more and more. And I mean, Oh, and he nails it. And he that nails Western it. vibe is, you know, it's that frontier town. I, I, I love everything about that. I think he did incredibly well. I hope we see him again. I do hope so, too. I mean, we. so what do we... I do know that from, you know, based on the Aftermath series, right? So we do get a little bit of his backstory there. And we do get yeah, so, some um, of the backstory in the show too. Yeah, and there, there was loads of... yeah, there was, And Star Wars Twitter's a horrible place sometimes. But there was <laughs> loads of drama that it doesn't tally up and they've ruined it. And why do it if you're going to do it properly? Firstly, come on, we got a book character in live action. You know, nobody's perfect. If mistakes are made, suck it up. How yeah. cool was that? <laughs> It's Star Wars. Sometimes you have to, and this is me saying it, but sometimes you have to weigh <laughs> the coolness of it. Yes. Versus, well, you know, what did it say on page two hundred and seventy-four? Really, I don't, I don't care that much. Um, I love all this stuff, but if it doesn't fit, I'm not gonna get my knickers in a twist over it. Plus, I mean, in the, in in the Mandalorian, I mean, he is telling his own story. And see, I a mean, lot, of, a lot of people said that they'll they'll take the unreliable narrator angle exactly. But I went back and read those interludes today, and it works. It, it, it works. There is no, there's nothing to worry about. If there you split, you, you know, he gets the the miners come in. Um, he gets stuck on the sand crawler. He points to the armor. The next thing he's doing is kicking the miners out of town. Right? Well, that didn't happen the same day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so in the interludes, the first interlude is a guy trying to barter with the the Jawas. 
Cobb Vanth comes along to lend a hand in the Sandcrawler. You know, he may not have even left the Sandcrawler from the first half of a flashback in the show yet. Yes. And then he ends up take buying the armor from Jawa's Ven. Well, he's already shown he wants it. Yes. You know, that's, yes. That's how these transactions happen. Yeah. And then the other um, two interludes deal with, I mean, they get, I've forgotten how weird they get, but it's all to do with them, with um, Cobb Vanth trying to, he gets the Rancor Keeper from Return of a Jedi to come mm-hmm. work for him because they have a baby hut that they kind of want to <laughs> raise up right, you know, give it good <laughs> parents, raise up right and take over Tatooine in a good way, I think is what they're doing. <laughs> uh, and then the mining guild leader comes in and tries to take off, so they sort him out, but they also have a truce with the Tuscans. And then eventually in the second flashback, he kicks the miners out of town, right? Yes. Now, obviously, that's right after Return of the Jedi. So there's five years. So even if he had a truce with the Tuscans, then doesn't mean he's going to last. You know, there's there's no contradiction. People just, it, it all works. You know, people are doing their homework. And again, I say again, it looked cool. Come on. It looked really cool. And yeah, I mean, he, you know, he nailed it in the episode. I think that, you know, he's telling this story to to uh, to Mando while, you know, while they're riding speeder bikes. You know, you're not going to go into every single detail either. You have to just no. give him just like, hey, this is who I am. This is what happened. And then this is how I got the armor. And I'm sorry that now I'm like, you know, offending your creed um, by wearing it. But I mean, was the original owner even a Mandalorian? Uh, again, that's mm-hmm. that's a disputable. <laughs> but it, it shows that either John Favreau is reading the books and wants to that's... work with it, or somebody in the story group is, you know, when they're writing down, he he's like, I need a I need a sheriff, and they're like, Well, we've got this person right here, and that's he's right, and he's saying I'll use that. I'm yes. not going to write a new character. Same with the spiders, you know, they they're mining it all, and it's it's great. It's giving I love us. It. Some of the best Star Wars, right? I love it. No, it's great. I really love it, and and it again, it just it does help me to as like starting points to get into all the legend stuff as well, and all the all the backstory. So I mean, and now the canon stuff, right? Because Cobb Vanth is canon, or yeah, he was yeah, canon, absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I and mean, I think it's only the again, don't quote me on this, but I think it's only the second time that a character has made it from the books and comics into live action. Um, the first time would be Ayla Secura in episode two. That's uh, right. The, 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 the blue Twi'lek Jedi. Yes, um, yes. She's so I, I believe that's only the second time it's happened. Oh, and God. the first time it was because George Lucas thought she looked cool on the front of a comic cover. Yeah. Here it's because someone's decided that's what served the story best. Yeah. That's, a, that's a massive difference. I hope, I mean... I guess I'll. I have my own list of characters that I'd I'd love for them to bring into uh, into Mandalorian and all that. I mean, obviously, there's all the rebels and and Clone Wars characters that have been rumored now for months. But then there's also the book ones that I'm like, it would be really cool to get to see them as well. Oh, I just I just had a thought. Could you imagine if they brought in young Snap Wexley? Uh, Mr. Bones. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, Mr. Bones is definitely up there. I mean, Snap, yeah, I mean, he'll have to be around because of Mr. Bones, but I'd love to see Mr. Bones. Is it, is it too late to start a petition? I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, <laughs> it can happen. Why not? But yeah, the, uh, so the, um, the, so the big reveal, though, at the end of the episode. There we go. Let's do it. So, uh, Boba Fett, right? Um, <laughs> unless we're going to... Well, keep going with it. It could be Captain Rex. Lying. It, it, it is a clone of Django Fett. 
for sure. Yeah. We know this. Well, I mean, I think I think it's fairly obvious that it it would rob the narrative somewhat if it didn't turn out to be Boba Fett. I, I, I feel. I mean, you wouldn't have introduced Boba Fett's armor into this episode and then reveal exactly. someone that is a clone of Jango Fett to not so be if we t- Boba Fett. If we take it at face value. Yes. Um, so obviously, he escaped the Sarlacc. We know that. Um, and going off what we see in the episode, so we see um, Cobb Van Thinnabar, they're announcing Death Star's been destroyed. Yes. Bar gets blown up. A day or two later, he's in the Sandcrawler, where Boba Fett's armor is already there. Yeah, just a matter of days, huh? Yeah, so okay. whether um, he made it, it out, um, whether the Jawas got him out, we, we don't know the circumstances in which Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc, but where... we know he did, and he got separated from his armor. That's well, all we know. We, I, I mean, just based on the episode itself... We know that someone with like Mandalorian armor can go inside the body of some other huge creature and survive. This it. is true. So this I mean, they true. showed us that. I mean, obviously, the way that they did it in the episode, he did come out with his own armor. He like flew out of the crate dragon. Yeah. Mouth, right? So obviously, as, that wouldn't point, have happened Bob, here. <laughs> no, at some point, Bobba is separated. That's from right. His armor. And how can um, that happen? I mean, in in Legends, that's if it, in Legends he escaped here. There's um one of the first ever Marvel comics set after Return of the Jedi was released. Um, shows Boba Fett. Sorry, I'm, I'm chuckling even thinking about this. Shows him <laughs> escaping the Sarlacc with his jetpack. Fine, uh, and he bumps into um, some Jawas on a sand crawler. And Han and Leia are on a mission on Tatooine for some reason I forget. They end up face to face with Boba Fett on the Sandcrawler, except he's got amnesia and he can't remember them because he's, you know, just come out of a Sarlacc. <laughs> and at the, at the end of it, Han and Leia escape and essentially Boba Fett gets knocked back into the Sarlacc. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Which is, which is great because it tells a story and he's out and he's back in um, which means that Everybody else was free to tell their story of how he escaped the Sarlacc. Yes. <laughs> um, and there's a there was one in the Tales from Jabba's Palace anthology, which uh-huh. um, was quite a disturbing story. Uh, where he's in there and he's he's kind of, I think speaking's the wrong word, but he's you know he's fully entrenched by this thing that's going to digest him over a thousand years or whatever. But he's communicating with someone else who's been in there a long time, and he's kind of he's he's trying to escape while well, talk to this person about you know what fate awaits him and yeah it's, it's it's quite dark but he gets out he gets out manages to get his jetpack gets out and the kind of the code of the story is that he returns a year later with slave one just blasts the hell out of a sarlacc <laughs> just, just <laughs> i mean as he should um and then there's a there's a the bounty hunter wars trilogy which sees um dengar picking bobber up when he finds him lying face down outside the Sarlacc. So um, there's a whole trilogy of him, you know, kind of going back to what he knows. And it's it's a it's a really good trilogy, actually. It's really dense. And half of it takes place 
in Zero ABY a couple of months after mm-hmm. um, Death Star's destroyed. Half it takes place just after Return of the Jedi. And it's it's all to do with um, the Bounty Hunter Guild and uh, Prince Zyzer's in it. And there's loads of uh, sort of family politics between Bosk and his dad, Kratos, who's the, the head of the Bounty Hunter's Guild and how Boba Fett's actually being manipulated to take the guild down from the inside. It's, it's really worth checking out. Yeah, I know. That sounds great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's how he got out of a Sarlacc in Legends. But then you've got the fact that Cobb Banth is, you know, he's he's not a Mandalorian. He's not Boba Fett. But he's walking around in Boba Fett's armor. And, again, he's not the first person to do that. There's been a few people in um, Legends, none in canon yet, but I wouldn't put it past them, that yeah. have done that. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to run through a couple of these briefly. So... In the Marvel comics, there's uh, a guy called um, Fen Scheisser, who Leia meets on Mandalore as they start there trying to find out where Boba Fett has taken Han Solo after Empire Strikes Back. And he's wearing the same armor as um, Boba Fett, and Leia thinks it is Boba Fett, mm-hmm. except he happens to have a really strong Irish accent. Um, <laughs> but then this uh, comic gives you this two-page spread of some real in-depth history of the Mandalorian's involvement with the Empire. And this is, you know, these are Marvel comics from, from 84. They kind of set the tone for everything that everyone else had to retcon decades yes. later and make it their own. Um, you had Jodo Cast, who, again, wearing identical armor as Boba Fett, went around um, impersonating him to try and get all the good jobs. Uh, so he even had his own action figure at some point. as a was a great one-shot comic called Twin Angels of Destruction where Boba Fett finally catches up with him. And there's also a short story called Side Trip, which was published in Tales from the Empire. It was a collaboration between Timothy Zahn and Michael Stackpole where Thrawn disguises himself as Jodo Cast, who's obviously an impersonator of Boba Fett, uh-huh. to deal, I think, it's off, all off the top of my head now. It's, it ties into the thefts of the Death Star plans but it also features Corrin Horn back when he was working for the police on Corellia. Corrin Horn. All right. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> in depth. Um, and then my final sort of uh, Boba Fett impersonator is from um, one of the Young Jedi Knights books, which is Shards of Alderaan, which is a set, you know, maybe 24 years after Yavin. Jason and Jane are up their time on the Academy where they, they get into an adventure. They're trying to, they're trying to find a bit of, older around to give to their mum as a present you know a nice bit of rock of the planet that you used to live on I, I don't know why they thought that was a nice present but anyway so they had they ended up bumping into boba fett with um his new ship slave four which follows on the tradition of his renaming the ships because when he turns up in dark empire he's got a ship called slave two so mm-hmm. he's working on it but that appearance was actually retconned as being his daughter oh. going around dressing up in his armor rather than Boba Fett himself. And I think that retcon was done by Abel G. Penner, who's, you know, he's uh, used to be a massive, incredible Star Wars lore nerd who wrote these blogs that tied all these different threads in together. And, um, yeah, you know, personal hero. Interesting. So, I mean, all these people that you're mentioning, I mean, they're all imperson. I mean, it sounds like they're all impersonating Boba Fett. Like, yeah, and, and it's not necessarily his armor they've just made armor to look like boba fett right uh yeah i think um jodo cast was very similar bar you know i think um where boba 
kind of got the red trim. He had slightly orange. Um, his daughter had identical armor. Um, Fenshiser, I think they were trying to uh, lead with the idea that all Mandalorians wore that armor mm-hmm. rather than each one's having individual. So they all kind of had various shades of gray and red. And I see. Um, and they were the ones, they kind of set Boba Fett up as being the leader of Mandalore back in the Clone Wars. And obviously most of it got overwritten, but right. you know, it, it, it all starts from somewhere. Do you know if like all these other, or all these impersonators, I mean, are, are they also making this armor out of Beskar? A Beskar didn't really come in until the the Legacy of the Force series, if I'm okay. right. Um, it, it and that was a that was Karen Travis, I think, when she was writing the she wrote the Republic Commando books and really started developing her own image of what Mandalorian society was like. And then when she went into the the Legacy of the Force series, she wrote every every third book. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was her and two other authors, and it was it was noticeable that hers were the only ones that you know talked about Mandalorians for 50% <laughs> of a book and the other authors didn't really follow it up. It, I see. It's, it's a weird series of books, but I think Beskar was something that she really brought to the limelight. I see. Which again is great, but they're using that in the, in the show. Yeah, no. And, and yeah. And, and that's something I'm like curious about because obviously in the show, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of Beskar around or it's at the very least fairly expensive. Yeah, or, you'd, you'd want something like that to be rare. Yeah, so then, you know, hearing you talk about all these people impersonating Boba Fett, I just have to wonder if they're all, you know, maybe they are making it out of some other type of metal, right? Because... But it's also the, dif- the difference in the armor. I mean, you look at Boba Fett's armor versus even Jango Fett's, you know, chrome armor and what the Mandalorian wears. Yes. His even visually it doesn't look as sturdy it doesn't this look is as, true. as solid this is true i mean we know that mando i mean in the first couple of episodes of the first season i mean his armor wasn't all made out of beskar right so we know that it, you can, as you move up within the ranks then you kind of start upgrading your armor and then you finally end up with your full beskar suit plus essentially boba fett isn't a Mandalorian. Exactly. He is just a bounty hunter. Exactly. I mean, we, d- we still don't know where he got that armor from. I always assumed he just like, re- I mean, cause he had his dad's helmet, right? Well, he had his dad's head. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, I mean, it's, uh, which is a little, you know, if it's a little weird, if you think about it, when you watch, uh, <laughs> the movie and you're like, yeah, you're, dad's head is still in there i think because his head was cut off and i mean unless the helmet dropped out of the head at some point but now i'm just i, I always kind of went with the fact that it the, the force of impact made the head fly out <laughs> that'd be a but wouldn't be a particularly tight fitting helmet no no <laughs> but um but yeah i mean i just assumed that he just took that helmet and then repainted it for you know once he grew into it um I'd never considered that. And I'm trying to remember now whether there is anything in the Clone Wars which which shows him getting his armor. But again, Clone Wars, I'll be honest, isn't my isn't my strong suit. Yeah, no, I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, like, I think that... Uh, I think we're... We've been at it for a little bit over an hour now. Is there... Uh, are there any other Easter eggs or anything like that that you want to talk about from The Mandalorian? You know what? I think... Uh... I think I've probably bored people enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will bring up a few little things and then we can call it an episode. Yeah, I go on, hit me. What did I miss? All right, so just a few things. Um, 
that I thought were cool. Um, number one is, so yeah, I mean, we know that this is full of like, you know, homages to and, you know, callbacks to classic Western movies. And just uh, in the first episode, the, when, um, when we see the Mando like riding into Mos Pelga, that shot is pretty much just taken out of a fistful of dollars. But it's just that classic sort of like, you know, Western movie, you know, coming into the town. It looks just like it in, uh, in Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and those films were inspired by, you know, the, uh, the Seven Samurai, the Akira Kurosawa films, That's which right. in themselves were a massive influence on George Lucas's work. So That's right. You know, and I, I love that shot as well. It sets the That's tone beautiful. perfectly. And even the... You can hear the spurs as he walks down into Cantina. I don't, yes. I don't know if he's wearing spurs or not. I have no <laughs> idea. I've never noticed. But the sound effect, yeah. Love That's right. That. Love it, love it, love it. And then they kind of do something similar on episode two, right at the beginning as well, where they kind of take uh, another shot. I think it's from Lawrence of Arabia. where you see Oh, really? That, yeah, you get that wide shot of like the desert, and there's a shot that is just like that in Lawrence of Arabia. So again, oh, no, it's kind of cool like going well. to the classical movies there. Because I, I was looking out for the fact that at the end of episode one, they, they change the ratio slightly for that bobber shot, yes. don't they? The black bars come in. Yes. And it almost felt, and I haven't looked, but when episode two starts, it felt to me like it started in the same ratio. Mm. And I was waiting for it to widen back up. Oh, I have to it, check that. I don't yeah. Know. I, it, it kind of, first time I watched it, it, it struck me, but I never kind of looked for it happening. Yeah. I mean, I know. But it wouldn't put it past me to do that. Yeah, I mean, I know they're they're filming part of of the show in IMAX. So, oh really? Uh, yes, and I know. So when they when they close in like that with the bars, those scenes were shot on IMAX. Um, I don't know if they have a reasoning yet as you know a rule as to when to use one shot versus the other. I know. I'm in hoping Westworld, the answer is when it looks cool. That's all the answer needs <laughs> I mean, to be. That's all it needs to be. I mean, that's how Christopher Nolan did it in the. Um, in the Dark Knight trilogy, um, I know in Westworld when they do it, it's to say that if you're within the like you know within the virtual world of Westworld versus the real world, they kind of switch the ratio. Oh, uh, that was okay, so they, maybe, they establish a very strict rule there. Maybe the directors are working along the lines of hold up, you need to pay attention to this bit. Yes, and yes. that's when the black like, there's, there's something really cool happening. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna frame it for you. Um, and then, yeah, the, the third thing that, um, I thought was kind of cool is just going back to that ant creature, the, uh, Dr. Mandible, just because, I mean, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but the director of this episode, um, Peyton Reed is the director of Ant-Man, oh, Ant writer Man and director of, of yeah. Ant-Man. So, I mean, we do have in those, in you know, the Ant-Man movies, there is that giant ant that, uh, you know, that he kind of like hangs out with. And I've, I was, uh, I've been driving myself crazy trying to figure out the species of that guy as well. I'm like, is it a verapine? Is it a killick? No, yes. it doesn't quite fit either of yeah. those. No, it's just, it's, a, it's another new species that's just, yeah, now he's, he's Ant-Man. And I had to check when um, I watched the second time around his subtitles, which I, I've started to do now with this show yes. just because I may pick something up. Yes. And when she calls him Dr. Mandible, I just, you know, I thought it's just like a throwaway kind of insult slash nickname. But when they name his subtitles as Dr. Mandible, I'm like, oh my God, that's actually his name. <laughs> that is his character's name. Yeah, I know. That's great. And now I just want to see a team up buddy psycho killer movie with him and Dr. Everson just going around <laughs> doing horrible surgical experiments oh on people. Oh my God. Can you imagine? 
Like that would be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those were just a few little kind of like callbacks to other movies that I thought were kind of interesting since uh, maybe that's what I can bring into this duo. Just callbacks to other pop culture things, not just within Star Wars. And let's be honest, we're lucky that, that we're lucky the professionals that are doing this show, you know, they're, they're not rookies. They know what they're doing and, exactly. and it shows. Exactly. Um, all right. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today's episode. Yeah, so, no, that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been, I, I've, I had fun. I learned a lot. And we, you know, for you guys listening to this, we will be providing links and pictures to all these books and pages that Trevor has been talking about. We will put a link in our show notes um, to go to our Instagram or Twitter accounts, you know, wherever we're going to post this. And that way you can just look through them and then you can buy the books yourselves with using some of our Utini affiliate links and such. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, Trevor, what uh, what are plans for future episodes? What do you want to do? Do you want to ask people for questions? How how are we going to do this? Yeah, sure. So the reason we chose the Mandalorian was just because it was so so rich of things that we could talk about. Plus, it's new, but you know, we've got decades of Star Wars publishing and you know, tens of thousands of years of in-universe history to talk from. So, you know, being being jose will come up with ideas and themes it, it won't always be about the tv show it could be about absolutely anything but we want to hear from you guys as well if you guys have got questions about the the tiniest tiniest little details in star wars or you just want to try and trip me up feel free fire them at us we'll uh see what we can do and we can talk about it that's right so yeah the easiest way to contact us will be through discord i think that way we can just keep track of it and so make sure to join our Utini Discord. I am uh, Joxy in there, J O X I I I. And Trevor, are you just Trevor? I think I'm just Trevor, yeah. <laughs> so just look us up in there, send us a message, or just put it anywhere, and uh, we'll try to answer your questions in some episode. Um, we might dedicate the whole episode to that, or we might just at the end of the episode just try to, you know, I'll just ask Trevor a few random questions and we can go through them. Um, but yeah. I think I think that's it. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time for more deep dives into random Star Wars things that you didn't know existed until now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, I guess we do we end things with May the Force be with you? Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, 